Welcome to another episode of This Catholic Life, conversations about life's ups and downs, big and small, how we deal with every situation imaginable, whatever life throws at us, but still manage to be sensible, practical, and joyful. Today's show has been recorded at Hearts of Flame. We've traveled across the ditch, or I don't even know how to say that with the New Zealand accent. The di- No, I'm not gonna try. <laughs> In the land of the long white cloud, as we call it. Um, apparently they just call it New Zealand. At the Hearts of Flame Summer School, talking to a special group of guys. Specifically, we've filtered out all the riffraff and we've got all the best of the camp here. No, sorry. The men are in this room and then the women are in another room. <laughs> we're, we're talking to some very special men. I'm your host, Peter Holmes, and today I'm joined by Gino, a paramedic from Auckland and part of the organising team here. Say hello, Gino. Hi, Peter. And Father Michael Therese, a priest of the community of St. John in Christchurch. Hello. Hello. And Monty Bamford, a seminarian from the Diocese of Christchurch. Hello. Hi, Peter. Thanks for having me on. Cheers. Before we get started, just a reminder that if anyone likes the show, if you're out there listening, you should write us a review on iTunes. The more reviews we get, the more people know about us. And also don't forget to click to subscribe. Let's dive right into today's topic. We've got to get really serious right away and say, Monty, what's your favourite sports team? Uh, being from Canterbury and being a rugby fan and being our national sport, it would have to be the Crusaders. The Crusaders. Previously right. the Canterbury Crusaders, but now just the Crusaders. Just the Crusaders. So With the, a new logo, I might add. <laughs> Do you like the new logo? No. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what don't you like about it? Um, I think the previous one was better. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But what's wrong about this one? It's just not the other one? It uh, struggles to make the connection between the uh, between the team and well, a, a, a real connection between the team and sort of what it stands for okay. needs to be worked on and developed, I think. Right. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Now we get to something slightly more serious. So we'll start with you, Father. Is there a theme in your life, in your heart this year, a way that God has been speaking to you about this year that's coming up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A big one for me right now is uh, something I preached on today, which is waiting for the coming of Christ. Right. Um, really touched me because we had a community retreat uh, just right before we came and there the main theme was the second coming of Christ so right. we had a whole retreat on the second coming of Christ and so are we about to break national news on this Catholic <laughs> life <laughs> you've, so. you've got a date for the, the coming of Christ <laughs> no no no, no. Okay. but it has much more to do with the part of our faith that says I want to see Christ I want to be with Christ I'm waiting for Christ right. like the wise virgins that were waiting for the coming okay what does that look like? How is it different from ordinary life? Well, for me, that one uh, kind of rectifies any hypocrisy within me. Um, if that statement makes sense, it's that I, in order for me to make sure that all my life is given to God, I have to see, do I actually at all times want to be with Him? Right. You know, as more because as a priest over the years, you get used to doing things. Right. You get used to saying mass. You get used to giving talks. You get used to talking about deep matters, mm. and it becomes like any other profession. When, and so it's personal when you say you're waiting for Christ. When, when I was an evangelical uh, growing up, they were really obsessed with the second coming of Christ, right? <laughs> and they, I'm saying this as a kind of um, sort of throwback to. You. And some of the cars that I used to drive in, because they believed in the rapture, right? That, that this that you could disappear at any moment. All the true Christians would mm. disappear, and it would be secret. And all the other people would look around going, where'd they go? And you, you get into some cars and they'd have a sticker on the on the dash of the, the passenger side saying, warning, the, the driver of this car may disappear at any moment. 
um, and they were, very, they were really quite. Some people didn't go to uni or didn't, you know, do long term things because they thought Christ was coming back this year. Um, it's not quite that sort of thing, is it? Not at all. Um, in fact, when you're looking at Scripture and when you're, Scripture is talking about what we need to do to get ready, right. often it's going to be works of charity, Right. as a matter of fact. Um, there's a very strong argument to say that the works that we need to do in order to get ready for His coming is to love my brother. Right. Because if you remember that passage I just quoted, which is in Matthew, it, the passage comes right after that's final judgment. In final judgment, you're going to be judged upon what you've done for the least of my brothers. Wow. And so that question of what am I giving to my brother? What am I? How am I loving my brother? How am I being consistent? Is really important because right now I love my brother so that I can get ready to meet Christ in him, right. as Mother Teresa said. Right. You know, we meet our brother in the poor. I also love my brother because I know that Christ loves me and is coming for me. He comes already in the Eucharist, and it's an hmm. uh, encounter every day that I have to get ready for. This is much more of a personal daily thing. I don't necessarily know if Christ will come this year. Uh, or he'll come in my life. He'll lifetime. definitely come in the Eucharist, hopefully. But he'll definitely come in the Eucharist. <laughs> he'll definitely come in the Eucharist. Cool. That's right. And he's already present in grace if God grants mm. that we're in it. Excellent. Eve, yeah. it's a hard act to follow, Monty, but uh, you're up for the same <laughs> question. What's the theme in your life this year that God's laid on your heart that made. There's certain parallels with Father Michael's, but uh, I won't express them as elegantly. I think I've just finished my fourth year of seminary formation and any of the guys here or the priests here or um, anyone who's listening who's been through a university program or some program of training or formation, dealing with the day-to-day, the um, mundane, if you like, of lecture, in our case, lectures and prayer and for the formation stuff and spiritual You're not direction. suggesting that lectures are mundane, are you? <laughs> ab- 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 Absolutely not. But <laughs> after, after seven years of tertiary education, they can get a bit, yes, uh, they can drag. A bit that yep. way sometimes. So just de- dealing with that. And um, so that's where the rubber hits the road. It's very easy, I think, to to get excited and, and to stay motivated when things are, uh, are challenging and changing and, and right. stay focused when things are changing, for me anyway. But dealing with those long periods of uh, of the same thing every day. The grind. Uh, yeah, but, um, with, with some exceptions. Um, that's been the, re- the real challenge. So perseverance in yeah. a word. You've got some interesting things coming up in this next year, though. I hopefully. have, yeah. It'll be a breath of fresh air. So Lovely. I'm going to be back home, which is Christchurch, and mm-hmm. uh, placed in a parish. And there's lots of exciting uh, changes happening in our parishes you as well. You said back home there. So that, that means the seminary's not home? No, no. Right. It's a temp- temporary home. Where yeah. is the seminary? Seminary is in Auckland. Or in Auckland, in right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And for Aussies, that's the bit up the top. And Christchurch is on the, the top, well, Bottom. It's it's on the top end of the South Island. South Island. Yeah. Three quarters of the way down the country. Three quarters yeah. of the way down the country. Okay. Or there a quarter you go, Aussies. Of the way up. That was my attempt to sound like I knew what I was talking about. Okay. <laughs> um, one way in which God has transformed you, uh, hopefully, into a, a better child of God. Obviously, in the process of or signing up to the to the seminary, um, and the seminary formation itself, one thing I've noticed is uh, an increase in self confidence. I was always, and still am, sometimes a little bit uh, nervous and and not very confident whether it was mm. reading. It was so good of us to put you in front of a microphone. It was, it? yeah. <laughs> lucky, lucky, it's not a video camera. But, right. Um, so there um, could be one behind those lights. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows what Tom set up? Yeah. Yes. Um, 
But so increasing in that self-confidence, knowing that my self-worth, my self-esteem comes from my baptism and being a a baptised child of God and not from what positions I own or what job I have or what what, uh, the girlfriend that I have or whatever Mm. comes from that, um, knowing that. Just to be clear to the listener, Monty as a seminarian no longer has a girlfriend. That's right. That, 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 had, that had to be. Uh, wow. Uh, is, is that a leading question? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I just presumed. Do you, do you have a correction? No. Yeah. Yeah. I hope that that's going to be edited out. No, 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 no. So an increase in self-confidence and, right. uh, and self-esteem, I would say, is one way that, that God has changed my life. Yeah. Father. I was thinking about the question, and I'm not 100% sure which story to say, but a God moment, and one a story I don't tell very often. Um, I was 18 and a half. I was living in Seattle, Washington. I was part of the grunge movement. It was in 1993. Just for uh, the audience. Grunge is like neo-hippie. It's like a neo-hippie movement where you are grungy. That's why they get grunge from. Grungy is like grimy and like where you don't shower for a month and you have your hair all out and stuff like that. He calls it um, a movement, right? It was a movement. It was a movement. And you got all kinds of grunge music that came from it, like Pearl Jam and Nirvana and all that came from that whole time period. So I was up there. I was studying in Seattle University. I was studying uh, uh, philosophy, really. And I... Well, I had a, quite a rebellious spirit at that point in my life. And I was part of the main movements on the West Coast. And so I saw all structures. I was becoming very anarchic. Uh, uh, all structures are evil, especially any form of government. Any huge governments are evil. And then what would be kind of the worst possible structure <laughs> would be a religious structure. And in the religious structures, the worst possible structure would be the Pope. Yeah. Um, and world so, government. Yeah, real, yeah well, absolutely <laughs> horrible. Um, and so, kind of, we just we have to rage against the machines that are out there. Yeah, that great are, band. Are crippling us. And hence the band Rage Against the Machines. It's all part of the grunge. Um, and my mom came up and she was talking with me. And normally I didn't listen much to my mom, but my mom had the right way of saying it. I was spouting that kind of stuff off at her. And uh, we were at a restaurant. It was like IHOP. And uh, she, she was all hurt, of course, because I was saying the Pope is like the Antichrist or something. And uh, she said, you know what, Mike? Don't call me Mike. Uh, <laughs> but that was before priesthood. So sure. Was, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, she said, just the other day I had a dream. And that's like my language. It's all hippie, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so she hit the nail on the head. She said, just the other day I had a dream. And I had a dream it was of Pope John Paul II. And he was standing in an office and there was this glass wall in between us and him. And he was speaking to us and we couldn't hear him. And that was like the world that was blocking everything out. And he figured out that we couldn't hear him. We couldn't hear him. So it got louder and louder and we still couldn't hear him. And so he picked up his chair and threw it and it hit a big old glass wall and it bounced off and he couldn't hear him. And he started, I started to panic. I went up the wall. I started hitting it. And the world was so strong that no one could hear his voice. And so finally the Pope went up to the glass, put his hands up against the glass and weaved his face through the glass (laughs) and spoke. And I heard his words and I was like, (laughs) 
whoa, mom. <laughs> and like, she never talks like that. You know, she never talks like that. My mom's like traditional Irish Catholic born in what, 1940. So she's not at all into that kind of thing. And so it blew me away. I was like, whoa, mom. <laughs> you know, and I started thinking about it. I realized that perhaps John Paul II is the only political figure that I know that was, when he spoke, even if I disagreed with him, was speaking truthfully, or speaking for my good, out of love for me, and not for some political agenda. And then I saw that government can be used for the good, because there's one that was doing it. So one proves against the million. <laughs> and then I started to change tides, and I saw that law isn't necessarily evil, and that law actually could be there to lead us to the good, you know? And it was a huge shift for me. And that had a major ripple effect on the next six months later, I discovered Scott Hahn and I went out to study at Steubenville and my whole life switched. Uh, but uh, that was that had a really big effect. Wow. Has your mom ever had dreams since? No, 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 no. That was the only one that she's ever told me about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it just came like right at the right moment. So it was a corny way of saying, a cheesy way of saying, is it God incidence? A, God, a coincidence? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> What's Christian masculinity? How does being a Christian, let's change the question. How does being a Christian change the way that you're a man? Ultimately, it's the incarnation, isn't it? It's Christ becoming man, yep. uh, firstly. And then it's the um, his sacrifice on the cross. Yep. And so I think for us and our masculinity. So what does that have to do with your masculinity? Yeah, for, for us and our, our masculinity, it's something that we are called to emulate now, whether that's a husband that sacrifices for his wife and for his family. Right. If that's for a priest or um, a, a, a priest and the um, promises or the vows, if they're religious of um, celibacy and yep. obedience and or chastity and obedience and, and, and simplicity or poverty, um, those, those sacrifices um, as a way or, you know, any other sacrifices that um, a man makes as a way of emulating Christ um, and following after him, uh, that's where I think that's what makes Christian masculinity, Catholic masculinity, different from all the other masculinity out there yeah. um, that I was sort of talking about before. For the listener, we just had air quotes around our masculinity. <laughs> All the other masculinity out there, yeah. Cool. False versions of it, yeah. Yeah. Father Michael Therese. I need a dragon to fight. I do. I mean, I need to feel like in my life, my life, I'm fighting for something. Right. You know? And um, one of the great dragons, of course, is that dragon within me. I spoke about the whole second coming Christ because I really try to work on making sure in my own heart I'm not a hypocrite. Right. I love the Lord with all my heart and I want to give my life to him. So fighting the dragons of sin within me. But also for me with Christianity, it's like uh, for me, it's crying out and before the world um, against the evils of the world. I feel often a responsibility to preach often a responsibility for the souls that are put before me. I remember the first time I walked on a university campus that I was given the responsibility of. I was, uh, that time it was 6,000 students and 80% were Catholic. And none of them would hear about the gospel normally unless I said something. Right. And you feel the weight of souls 
and you feel like there's a dragon that you have to fight. Right. Um, and the funny thing about today, it you don't have to be a priest to realize it, that if you don't preach, who will? If I'm not a saint, who will be? And there, it's not like there's a, a thousand people standing up and say, I want to be a priest, <laughs> you know? And so the, I want to go out there and preach, and give my life to preaching. I, maybe I'll be married, but I want to be out there preaching. I want to bring the gospel to the people. There's not a thousand people standing up. And we say it's a hard life. I mean, it's not a hard life. It's a wonderful life. It's an incredible life. It's a beautiful life. It's a different life, though, it's isn't it? It's a different life. It's a different life. Yeah. It, it's, for me, I definitely needed a dragon as a young man. Right. As you saw in my other story, I was looking for dragons to fight. I definitely, when I trusted in God and let his word start to really penetrate into me, I started to see the dragons more clearly. Yeah, the word of God is not soft. No. I mean, I remember people talking to me about how fluffy Jesus was. And you see those Facebook pictures of Jesus sitting with a little girl and he's got flowers. I mean, Jesus is okay with little girls, but, <coughs> but with flowers and fluffy and share if you love Jesus kind of stuff. <laughs> These people haven't actually read the Bible. <laughs> it's it's tough stuff, and it and it's the dragon. It's it's go head to head with the dragons. So. Yeah, things like uh, fasting. I think the world has forgotten about it, and the world needs to rediscover it. Yeah, you can't fight off sin if you don't fast. You've got an evening off. Just imagine you've got an evening off. You've got some hours to yourself. No obligations. No deadlines. Money is no object. Tell me about your favorite recreation. You absolutely can do anything you like for these three hours um, or whatever it is. And what's the favorite snack that goes with it? I'm pretty, pretty simple to please. You know, having uh, growing up, we didn't have television. So for me, and I love test cricket or cricket and especially test cricket. So for me, is sitting on the couch watching test cricket, day-night test matches, thank God. Um, and... Snacks to go with it, I would say a bottle of red wine and uh, Black Forest chocolate. Anyone else here like Black Forest? Oh. Hey, there we go. Yeah. So, so I, I shouldn't give you the cricket scores just now? Uh, I, think it fin- I think it finished yesterday. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, th- I thought we were still going. Anyway. <laughs> I wish we were. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> I have never been into cricket. I'm sorry. No, not at all. But you're next up. So I'm next up. Um, no. Well, so if I only have an evening or do I have a day? Let's go with a day. Okay, right. But so long as it's not a long list of... <laughs> if I had an evening, it would be movies. Right. It'd be movies. And um, I like everything from Princess Bride, Hunt for the Wilder People, to uh, more like uh, kind of like uh, sci-fi to... I like about everything. Okay. Just about everything. Um, if I had a full day, I've gotten into something pretty geeky. Uh, Details. Super geeky uh, is uh, geology. And so I like, to, I like to go exploring. I love driving. I like going all over the place, finding cuts in the sides of the mountain. Right. And, you don't and make studying. the cuts, though. No, no, oh, good. No, no, okay. no, no, I don't make cuts. But I, what I do enjoy is like there's in New Zealand, there's a ton of incredible geology. So I like exploring it. Cool. Do you know? Um, I'm a big fan of music. Um, I've kind of grown up with music as my passion, so probably just a nice jam. Um, cool. So what do you play? <laughs> well, I grew up singing, um, picked up guitar in high school, and then playing in various bands. I've 
dabbled in a little bit of piano, drums, bass, and a few other things like ukulele. <laughs> nice. All right, I'm going to answer this one because I want to. Um, <laughs> for me, it is uh, – I haven't done this for about five years – but breaking out my HOTAS, which is a hands-on throttle and sick, it's it's an Im- imitation F-18 fighter pilot cock, uh, joystick and throttle, something like 18 controls all over it, and play a game called Elite Dangerous, which is a, a space um, life combat trading. Just it's Everyone who's playing the game is online at the same time and you can shoot them and kill them and, and steal stuff and go on and do all sorts of things. And it's very, very cool graphics and you can land on planets and run around. It's pretty cool. And Sounds like Grand Theft Auto for space aliens. Easy, <laughs> easy, easy. Nobody gets rewarded for uh, bashing up people in, in this game. If it's got 18 controls, how do you snack? How do you snack? Yeah, you don't do a lot. I mean, actually what you're doing is sitting there going, um... Uh, and look at your snacks while you're trying to dodge the, the viper that's behind you trying to kill you. All right, <laughs> now we've dealt with the important stuff. Three examples of prayer that you pray. So three different kinds of prayer. When, what's the sort of time that you would pray them? And a very quick answer of why. So we'll start with Eugene. Uh, the rosary, uh, mass and adoration probably. Okay. Um, the rosary, I generally pray either on my way to or from work, um, sometimes at work because I do a lot of driving at work as well, um, and you know, mass and adoration, you know, the Eucharist, the source and summit of our faith. Um, and I think just getting some time of silence is, is a really important part of um, getting in the right mindset. Great. Um, we'll, we'll jump you and go to Monty now. I would uh, second Gino, but I'd um, add in Lexo Divina. Okay, so, okay. And I'm a morning person, so I would try and get up early in the morning, as early as possible, and have that holy hour, preferably in front of our Lord, and uh, and also Lexio Divina with the Mass readings or with the Sunday readings or or whatever. Uh, that's how I roll. And also uh, our, liturgy, our Liturgy of the Hours, so the Prayer of the Church. Right. We're going to talk some more about the Liturgy of the Hours, if you like. I'll perhaps yeah. come back to that. Um I'm just going to you because I suspect one of them may be the Lindsay of the Hours. I do. We pray. We <laughs> pray. Um, no, we pray a lot. Uh, so uh, You only get three today, Father. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, they've all said them all, all the normal ones. Um, what would be an... I'll give you one abnormal. I feel like normal should be... I'll give you one abnormal. I'll give you okay, one abnormal. Sure. Um, I love a corny one again, nature. Nature, just going sitting out in nature and reading a book. Reading one recently, it's been like the Fathers of the Church. Okay. And it's kind of like Lexio Divina. So, how is that a prayer? Well, so, like, for example, all this stuff that I was just talking about, Second Coming of Christ and all that, it comes a lot of it, a lot of that comes from St. John Henry Newman and immediately puts me before the face of Christ. Right. You know, when you're doing Lexio Divina, you're reading the Bible until you see the face of Christ, stand up off of the book and talk to your soul. Okay. <laughs> you know, to speak metaphorically. It was a metaphor. For <laughs> it was a metaphor, <laughs> of course. But uh, it, it's also true for one of my brothers in Christ, a saint who's spoken. Right. And uh, very often it's hard for me to do um, serious Lexio Divina when I'm out in nature. Sure. So I have to get something that's much more... Uh, uh, accessible, accessible at that moment to me. And so it'll be, uh, right now it's the sermons of St. John Henry Newman. Okay. For the current time. I, I'm really like the office, but um, 
I'm also really slack. The show of the office? No, 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 no. I can't. I can't do the show of the office. It's too. It, I've worked in too many offices, and it's too real. It's too real. No, I mean the divine office, which is the the Psalms three times a day. I like that, and I I love it when I pray it. But I'm have I'm slack, and so I say I'm going to do it, and then do it for two days, and then I'm going to do it tomorrow. Um, the divine office is awesome, and I want to come back and talk about that a bit more and how how it comes into us. But one of my other ones, favourites, is the litany of a sacred heart. Uh, the, sorry, the devotion to the sacred heart. I use that in conjunction with praying for people who aren't Catholics, who who don't have the understanding of reparation for sin, because the, the devotion of a sacred heart is about reparation um, for sins, and they don't have that. They don't have that understanding, and so it's something I can give them, if you like, from. And uh, and all you know those for Catholics, no one's beyond um, our reach. Uh, so my father died last year. Um, now it's the year before now, um, and he's not beyond my reach. There's things I can I can. There's a kind of a way I can be still a warrior for him and, and going to bat for him in that way. So that's pretty cool. Coming back to the office, let's just throw it around a bit. What's what's uh, a cool thing about the office and what it does and why, why do we pray it? I mean, priests have to pray the office. There's all the other things that we can do, which are really cool, but they have to pray the office. Um, two things come to mind right away. I'll just give tidbits and let others come in. Um, one thing that comes to my mind right away is really cool about the office is praying it punctually throughout the day. I really, my heart cries out for the presence of Christ. You know, I really want to spend my day praying all day long, but you don't do that literally. I mean, you're not like going Hail Mary, full of grace all day. But with the divine office, it's like I stop, I pause, I give my whole heart to Christ, I listen to his word, then I start up again. Right. And then I stop, I pause, and then I start up again. Um, punctuating your day with seven times of prayer throughout the day, albeit short, I mean, it does not be long, is an excellent way of doing something very similar to what the divine office wants to do. Right. You know? Mm, start, even so, start arms. small is what you're saying. So, yeah. instead of doing what I do and try and pray the whole thing in one go, um, not at one, but in each day, pick pick something that's achievable. Yeah. So, you, you know, even just pick. I mean, for me, it's three times a day. So, I pick morning and evening prayer mm-hmm. and the Angelus. And so, the Angelus is one minute. Come in. The, <laughs> it's pretty pathetic if I can't find one minute in the middle of my day to just stop and say the Angelus pretty quickly. <laughs> Yeah. The other thing that I was thinking of that I think relates to all of us in a certain sense, uh, I, I've been at it for praying about four and a half hours a day for at least four hours a day for about 24 years now. Right. Um, and uh, one of the the seven deadly sins is called asedia. We right. translate as laziness, but it's often not a good translation. Asedia is when you're getting so busy that you're escaping from prayer. Ooh. Um, is when you purposely make yourself busy. Are you available because... for confession after this, Father? <laughs> <laughs> Asedia is like, I want to keep myself busy because I really just don't want to go to prayer. And not because I just don't. It's prayer becomes second. It becomes unimportant. It becomes not what I want to do right now. I keep myself busy. They were, they, when they're speaking, the Fathers of the Church speaking about the monks doing it, they were saying, people who are suffering from Asedia are super busy. Wow. Are super busy doing all kinds of stuff, but running around like chickens with their heads cut off. Right. And I think it's the one of the main sins that our world is suffering with today. 
<laughs> busyness honest. is certainly one of the biggest things. Everyone's busy. Uh, everyone's busy. It's a um, badge of honour, isn't it? Yeah, and, and actually, you're right busy. there, Monty. The, it, it's almost a badge of honour, like how busy I am. If someone asks me how I am and I say, oh, I'm perfectly, I've had the day off, I'm perfectly relaxed. And then, oh, <gasps> yeah, oh, really? Oh, here's 20 things to do, you know? Yeah. yeah. But don't, don't you find it like a busy, a busy doing a lot of nothing? It's like when you finish your days and you're like, did I really accomplish an enormous amount? <clears throat> did <it>. I really? <laughs> did I? I mean, it's like, huh? But it'll yeah. still be there tomorrow. And that that's a proper of a sedia. It's like you're busy doing a lot, but not a lot. There's a lot of, they used to have this thing between urgent and important. So some, lots of things are urgent, like your phone rings, have to answer it. It might be important, but you don't really know. And it's not, or the email's constantly demanding or the, the job or something, but um, my kids are more important than that. You have to fight to keep the desire, you know? You have to fight to keep that desire. And that's what the war against that kind of thing is. And so you have to fight to make it to on time or earlier to prayer. Five minutes before mass starts. Um, and that's a war. That's a war. Mm. And so something like for a lay person who is quite busy with their family and all that, I think even, I mean, praying one time a day at the office, but throughout the day, setting their alarms on their phone so that they stop for two minutes and just be quiet and love the Lord. But that, that one time when they pray during the day, arrive early and do it with great desire. And when you start to wane on that desire, work on your desire. Hmm. Choose that desire again. Maintain the desire. Yeah, I, I never had trouble showing up early for cricket when I played cricket. I was always there. I was setting up, you know, I was waiting for all the other people to come. What's going on? Painting the creases. Yeah. 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 Rolling the pitch. Um, yeah, scuffing the ball. No, just joking. Um, <laughs> what grade sandpaper did you use? Yeah. <laughs> so, Gino, did you have anything to throw at us about the office? Have you had a look at the office? Yeah, I think apart from what they've said, um, one of the things I love about the, the divine office is that it really is the prayer of the church. Yeah. Um, and it reminds me of kind of how universal the Catholic Church is um, and how, you know, similar to the readings for Mass, mm. everyone is praying these exact same prayers. Because when we, when we go in there and pray night prayer, everyone else in the world is praying these psalms mm. at the moment. Right? Everybody. What, what, this is why we can't just pick any old ones that we want. Like, I'm feeling happy today. Why do we have to pray this miserable one? <laughs> because we're, and it's actually more important then because we're joining in solidarity with the people who actually need that prayer and we're praying for them. Isn't, um, that, isn't that what the community of saints is? Yeah. And that we're making it concrete, you know? Yeah. We're putting it in action. When, I was, uh, when my son was nearly dying and I was really angry with God and I couldn't pray, I literally couldn't say anything. I was reading the Psalms and going, good, someone's saying it somewhere else because <laughs> I couldn't. And, and it, the whole world is in, in this prayer offering up for, for these people who are angry or sad or all these sorts of things because it's pretty cool. All right, so what brings you joy? What brings me joy now is being at Hearts of Flame. Excellent, <laughs> excellent. Uh, is that the right answer? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, here's, here's your money. <laughs> you did well. Uh, secondly, it's uh, I'm actually going on my first overseas trip in a couple of weeks. Oh, really? Yeah. So your first overseas trip? First overseas trip. I'm Got 29. your passport? I have, yeah, got that freshly minted, and uh, uh, so I'm 29 and never been out of New Zealand. So Do you know, what? I got really disappointed when I came over because I renewed my passport to to come over here for the first uh, heart three years ago, 
and they don't stamp them anymore. No. And that's because you don't need a visa to come here. Well, that's true, but <laughs> but it's all machine. Like, I don't even have a visa in my passport. <laughs> so where are you going? I'm going to the Philippines. You Filipinos here? Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and also to, to Vietnam. So a lot of the guys that oh, I've wow. studied with um, and have met with in the seminary are going over there. So. Just to play some cricket or are you going there for a... Uh, I don't know. I think um, <laughs> basketball and soccer are the two main sports of right. those, uh, those countries. What's the main main attraction over there, though? Uh, just visiting the, the guys and their families. Yeah. Oh, wow. So, so these are some fellows I've been in, in the seminary with them four years and so Fantastic. to meet their families and uh, see where they grew up and what they experienced. So, and then uh, after that, my, my next joy will be uh, my pastoral year. Which will start which after I'll when start you come back. Which will start on the 1st of February. Yeah. Lovely. Gino, you're up. What brings you joy right now? I think in, in addition to what I said before about music, um, traveling, um, really. Uh, and I learned something on my last travels to Italy because most of that trip was by myself. And um, I decided never to do it again <laughs> because I realized I'm a little bit more extroverted than I thought, but not so extroverted that I want to go out and meet people. <laughs> um, and so I really, I think what, what really brings me joy is, is to have cool experiences like traveling, but also to be able to share that with other people. Right. Fair enough. Hmm. Um, what brings me joy is people. To be honest, I love meeting people. I love meeting people. And if you took a, like kind of one of those weird psychological exams i'd be introverted it's weird okay no, uh, but uh, i i really do enjoy people you said weird psychological exams i think that's I, redundant yeah, they're yeah, all yeah, weird yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right that was my point yeah there you go <laughs> but uh no i i get a lot of joy from encountering people working with people helping people uh, the reason i get up in the morning is often because my brothers are there because christ is there uh is all different encounters. Cool. My life is filled with encounter to encounter. He's just made my answer sound really bad. <laughs> <laughs> I like finding a new whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> something wrong with that? No, I have wrong a, with that. I love I have a thing too. for single malt whiskey, and I when I find a new one of high quality, and just sit and I have some of my progressive metal on and uh <laughs> and just yeah it's just amazing to the experience of just losing yourself in the whole taste of a brand new thing and you're trying to figure out where it's coming from and what's going on yeah, have you ever explored the really good tequilas tequilas yeah. tequilas and whiskeys are the only two kinds of liquors that i've found that have all the various gradients really? and incredibly good ones I and incredibly bad ones and uh <laughs> yeah there's a lot of bad whiskey and whenever this is exactly the experience i had and almost everyone has the same experience when they start with whiskey someone says do you like whiskey and you go no i hate it and they go what have you drunk oh, i've had some johnny walker red label and you're like oh <laughs> you, you haven't tasted whiskey <laughs> and so a single malt um, Scotch whiskey, a great starting point. But I've got Japanese stuff and Tasmanian stuff, and I love whiskey. yeah, all over the place. Cool stuff, but it was rather less exciting than yours. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's very exciting. Okay. All right, so um, what about an inspiration? Someone who's a, a real inspiration to you? It can be a saint, but it doesn't have to be. So, someone in your life, or uh, someone you've you've read a lot about or know a lot about, is a saint. So perhaps Gino, we'll start with you this time. Um, I think the first person that comes to mind is Pope St. John Paul II. Um, 
basically like what I said before, um, the theology of the body that he wrote was instrumental to, yeah. to my conversion and um, kind of deepening my faith, but also just the suffering that he went through. Um, and a lot of stuff. Yeah, and just how much he not only loved people, but how much he loved and embraced his cross. Um, that was, that's always been uh, an inspiration to me. I have to say, when I was a Protestant when John Paul II was Pope, mostly, and uh, you know the whole Protestant thing of the Pope's the Antichrist. John Paul II, you know, instrumental in defeating communism, mm. suffer, beautiful suffering, and the theology of the body, and he makes a really crap Antichrist. <laughs> <laughs> he's just not, he's not matching the standard. So. Monty, I had I had a Protestant background too, so I've just recently uh, discovered this uh, the saints and specifically uh, Charles Borromeo, so from the 16th mm. century, uh, Italian. Um, nephew, I think, of a cardinal, and he was in the church at a in a tumultuous period just after the Council of Trent. I think he was there for the last the last part of it, mm. and uh, I see a lot a lot of parallels in his situations and and in in the world and in the church today. So, uh, so what was his particular charism that attracted you? Well, uh, he was the patron saint of seminarians, so he set up mm. s- seminaries to train and to educate uh, mm. cl- clergy, uh, particularly in the battle with you know Protestantism. Which and, was, and the reason why that was a big deal at the time is that the reason why the, there was such a reaction against Catholicism at the time and people were looking for a kind of a new start was that there was a little, quite a lot of ignorance in the Catholic clergy and, and the laity too. So he's, he's helped uh, you know, address the need. Mm. Mm. So him and also uh, John Henry Newman, again, he battled with that whole conversion to uh, Catholicism, the social stigma, and then the uh, interior journey and intellectual journey. And so that'd be the the two saints. Yeah. I found out recently that John Henry Newman had one of those long, dark nights of the soul, that he uh, quite a long part of his life was in that deep despair of wondering, what was it all worth it? Have I really done anything worthwhile? And it was only quite close to the end of his life that it started to become obvious, no, no, there's some good stuff here. Yeah, well, because he was, he was like shunned by the Anglicans yep. and then the Catholics yeah. also didn't trust him because he... That's a common experience of converts. <laughs> the Protestants really? no longer trust you because you're now a Catholic. <laughs> Tell us all about it. <laughs> <laughs> the Protestants don't trust you because you're now a Catholic. And then the Catholics go, wait, wait, wait. Who are you? Where did you do your thing? Which school did you go to? Yeah, where yes. do you come from? Yeah. Don't you yeah. quote the Bible at me? Yeah. I, want, I once had a Facebook post. I was feeling quite bitter this particular um, week, and I had a Facebook post that said, you know, 1,400 years ago, St. Augustine converted to the Catholic Church. And in some Catholics' books, he might just have been a Catholic long enough now to listen to. <laughs> so anyway. <laughs> Father Michael Therese. Well, I mean, in my life, a lot of saints. Uh, Mother Teresa has been an incredible influence. I lived in India for a good while, worked with her sisters. Um, St. Therese, my name is Michael Therese. Uh, Therese has been huge. Which Therese? Little Flower. Okay. Um, That's Therese of his youth. Yeah. um, But go with a different, totally different genre. My mom... Um, the dreamer. I yeah, the dreamer. <laughs> yeah. So no, my mom. I I had a tough time when I was young, and she's had a tough time all of her life. Uh, she d- didn't come from an easy family, and she's had a hard time dealing with herself and her own kids. But 
And now looking back upon my life, I can honestly say that all of my life, my mom's been crying out for God. Wow. Pretty cool. Isn't it interesting that often the people in our lives which have the most impact are the ones we can see who are still searching? Not as if they've all got it all together, yeah. but they're genuinely searching. I remember times when my mom was suffering a lot and she'd wake up in the middle of the night crying out, Father, I meaning God the Father, wow. and stuff like that. Little things like that, those are when she really was suffering. And she's really, really suffering a lot. But now she's not. But she's still like always kind of looking for how to please God, you know? Wow. Uh, yeah, it's nice. And we all have a... I hope we all have someone personally in our life too that is close to us. That yeah. Even if they're not saints because you see all the little things, you know, but they are, <laughs> you know, they are in their hearts. They are in their hearts. Uh, 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 mine, my patron actually is Albert the Great. And when I w- became a Catholic, the, the priest said to me, you've got to have a patron saint. And I went, oh, okay, where's the list? <laughs> and he, and, and he, yeah, but, Butler's Lies of the Saints is this massive document. And I, after trawling through this for a couple of weeks, I eventually chose Albert the Great for a number of reasons. Firstly, he's a, he was a, a great teacher and he was so good. He knew he was actually the master of every discipline that existed, as in he, he could teach and he was the highest level academic of every single discipline that existed medicine, philosophy, botany. Uh, two two disciplines that have since been they no longer exist. Some of those texts are still the cutting edge texts for in the botany area. Um, but even though he was so he was called the great in his own lifetime, but he was he only allowed people to call him the great because the alternative was they were going to call him the mag the magic magician. So and he no 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 the great will have to do. But even though he was one of the greatest intellectuals of all time, he when he had a student everyone else thought was stupid and slow and the famous line is that um they called this student the dumb ox because he was slow and he said you call him the dumb ox and i tell you this ox will bellow and his roar will shake the whole world and when that student came out with brilliant theology and it started to get attacked albert dropped all of his work and defended the student's work and when that student died at quite a young age, Albert spent the rest of his life defending St. Thomas Aquinas's work. I took him because I, I've always aspired to be a teacher, but he inspired me in, the such, in that he was never about himself. He was always about seeing the greatness in his student. And almost nobody knows who he is now, which is kind of the point of him. And then when I'd chosen him, the, my priest said, oh, of course, because your birthday. And I went, what? <laughs> his saint's day is on my birthday so yeah, that's kind of cool man. we've kind of talked about uh new revelations um what about your favorite symbol of the faith so perhaps we'll start with uh father michael Trez on this one symbol and why the lamb the lamb the lamb of god the lamb of god yeah and so much so really quick um it's the only symbol that while it's the only symbol that can be found to represent god that's not found in any other religion. It's not that point that really strikes me. Yeah, if you're going for a real fierce sort of religious sort of symbol, you don't go, yeah, lamb. We're the lambs. lamb. <laughs> <laughs> it's this little passage in the in Book of Revelations when he says, um, "Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah," and John turns around and looks and he sees a lamb. That whole mystery of how. The manliness that Christ is calling us to is the manliness of the cross, and it's where he conquered the world. 
It wasn't how we become a lion is by the laying down of our life. As the sacrifice. Yeah. With him in him, through him. With him in him, through him. And so it's becoming a lamb. It's the power to not search for power if it not be at the service of his love. Gino. I'm going to pick the most cliche um, image, but the cross. Um, And it goes back to what I said before about suffering. Um, because that do you mean the cross or the crucifix the crucifix okay good yes. i just thought you were turning into a protestant <laughs> <laughs> so okay crucifix yeah the crucifix because it goes back to to what i said uh, you know one of the key things things apart from the theology of the body um that drew me to to john paul ii was was his love of the cross um and you know saint paul speaks about how we can complete what is lacking in the crucifixion and um, I remember reading about that and you know what John Paul II had to say about that because you know what can we possibly add to the crucifixion Um, was it that Christ didn't suffer enough Um, and I think one of the key quotes that I remember was that Christ didn't die on the cross Christ didn't go through the crucifixion so that we would never have to suffer but so that we would know how to suffer Ooh, let's just play that one back to me. Christ didn't. Christ didn't uh, go through the crucifixion so that we would never have to suffer. He went through it so we we would know how to suffer. Wow. He could have chosen to, you know, take on our sin. He could have chosen to save humanity in any way possible. And he chose the path that would put him through the most excruciating death. Wow. Okay, Monty, I've given you a tough gig. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, that's a hard precedent to follow, isn't it? Mine's easy. Mine's the uh, church, the church building. And I think it's St. Paul talks about it. Um, you know, Christ, uh, Christ is the cornerstone, the apostles is the foundation stones. And us, the baptised, uh, working together like any good building, um, walls, roof, uh, lights, um, and then the church building, you know, altar and sanctuary and all, all of that, all of the different parts working together to create that harmony and that uh, that beauty and that transcendence. So that's the image for me. Good on you. Um, I was going to joke that mine is the what would Jesus do bracelet, but I'm not going <laughs> to. I'm not, not going to do that. <laughs> My favourite is the bishop's crook. Um, I mean, absolutely, the crucifix and the lamb are awesome, but the bishop's crook for me. I mean, I was a Christian all my life, but when I became Catholic and you start taking bishops seriously, because bishops in the in the Protestant thing are more like uh, people who happen to be organizers of things, whereas a bishop's crook reminds you of what he can do. Like, he, certainly he's, you can see him in a crowd because it's, you know, up ahead and everything, but it's got a hook on it. And a, a shepherd's crook is to hook your leg and yoink your back when you're going somewhere dangerous. Um, it's kind of a reminder that it's still a gentle instrument because it doesn't spike you and bring you back. It, it, it sort of co- curves around you and brings you back. It's kind of a cool image. All right. We've probably done enough for this week's podcast. Uh, if today's discussion got you thinking, arguing with your podcast device, let us know. You can subscribe to the podcast at thiscatholiclife.com.au. You can tell us what you liked, what you didn't like, or you can check out the show notes for Hearts of Flame so you can come next year um, and any of our New Zealand friends. Um, if my accent sounded a little bit New Zealand to my Aussie audience, it's because I've been here a while and it's a cool accent. So, 
and I find it really, really hard to not uh, not to imitate. My, my son's here and he's doing a much better job than I am at imitating. So, <laughs> um, You can continue the conversation by joining our Twitter, Instagram, Facebook or Discord chat. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify or any of the podcast apps. Um, remember, this is a uniquely Australian and now New Zealand international podcast. We think that's an idea worth getting behind. So tell your friends. Time for a shout-out. Who are you going to shout-out to since this is going out on the airwaves? I'll give a shout-out to my mum, who I've just spent the last six weeks with over Christmas time. And, uh, yeah, I don't know if she'll listen to this. I don't think she knows what a podcast is <laughs> or what the internet is. But um, Well, the good thing is you can get your phone and just put it in the in the kitchen and just play, play, play it. Play it, play yeah. yeah, but um, thanks for all your love and support, mum. God bless Cool. Now she has to listen to it, really. <laughs> Father Michael. Shout out to my parish. Excellent. Where's your parish? Uh, in Christchurch. It's called Rickerton or St. Teresa's, soon to change into Christchurch West until we find a name. Right. Gina. Um, my shout out is to my family because I actually missed a really huge family reunion to be here. <laughs> um, yeah, apparently uh, close to 50 of my family from... Canada, America, and the Philippines are currently in New Zealand doing a New Zealand cruise, and I missed that. So shout out to them so they know it's for a good reason. Let's hear it for Gino. <laughs> <laughs> That's all for now. Thanks for listening to This Catholic Life. Mm-hmm.